This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to XNO Quick Hits. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And this is going to be a very special edition of the show because we are going to dedicate it to breaking down the film of one player. And that one player is Le'Veon Bell, the outstanding all-pro running back from the Pittsburgh Steelers who is set to hit unrestricted free agency and is expected to be one of the top targets on the New York Jets free agent list. So, of course, we bring in Joe Blewett, who is our guy on the scene doing the X's and O's over on our YouTube channel, Turn on the Jets TV. He hosts Turn on the Jets Film Room with Marcus Coleman, the former 11-year NFL veteran and current Arena League coach. And he has taken the time to really dissect Le'Veon Bell's film for the good, the bad, and all three aspects of his game as far as receiving, rushing, and blocking. So, Joe, thanks for hopping on and doing an X and O quick hits. I know normally we do this after games. We look at film, but this is a special circumstance because Le'Veon Bell has generated so much talk. So I thought it would be fun to really dissect the X's and O's on him. Before we get into any of the specifics, how much fun did you have watching Le'Veon Bell on film? Yeah, it was definitely a change-up from watching. I remember texting you. I was watching guys like Adam Gase. Like, yeah, it's kind of fun. Or watching Greg Williams, which seemed like just time was not even going by. Watching defense, um, even though I do love defense. But going from coaching to watching Le'Veon Bell was definitely really fun. Where like I couldn't even contain my excitement at times. Where like there'd be random times where I wouldn't even want to wait to put up the film review. I'll just put up like little gifts of him stiff arming the crap out of Drake Kirkpatrick or whoever it may be. So um, yeah, it was definitely fun because he's legitimately since I really been breaking down film and watching film for the jets. He's, he's the best player I've ever watched um, better than anybody, you know, who's been on the jets the last three, four, five years, even probably 10 years. So um, to watch a player as good, as efficient as he is um, and will continue to be was definitely very fun. And yeah, I know we usually, it's usually after games, but we're going to get into some of the nitty gritty the next, uh, the next month or two, I'm sure with a bunch of free agents being signed and then me breaking down that film and then draft and all that stuff. So I'm sure we'll be talking to each other a lot in the next month or two, but it's definitely been a little bit too long. Yeah, no question about it. I was hoping that we could do a whole bunch of draft prospects and also, obviously, whoever the Jets do sign in free agency. And hopefully, one of those guys is Le'Veon Bell. There are three aspects to his game. He's a receiver, he's a running back, and he's a blocker. So let's start with what people know him for best, and that is running the football. Talk to me about what you noticed on film with Le'Veon Bell, the running back. Yeah, so like uh, we just, we just talked about this before we started recording. It's it's almost because I did like a five page write up on Le'Veon Bell, and it's almost hard to put it into a a sentence or a paragraph that that makes sense about what kind of runner he is because there's just so many things I listed and so many plays I put up where you know I put up like a sixty play review of Le'Veon Bell, so to try to say it in a sentence almost doesn't do him justice. Um, but there's really nothing he can't do. Um, and, and that's a legitimate statement, whether he has very few weaknesses. Um, but you're looking at just him running the ball, his burst, the way he sets up blockers, his vision, strength, lower, lower body power, um, his vision, his ability to press certain gaps, like press the A gap to make the linebacker on the second level jump into that A gap when really he's setting up the B gap where he's going to explode through that. His ability to, to cut outside of his frame, his suddenness, his, his the stop-start quickness, the, the power in his stiff arm, um, the ability to jump cut, his footwork, the way he, he turns his hips and gets his hips open to, to go into certain gaps. 
um, the way he he kind of patters his foot, his feet, and, and his footwork. Where if you're coming to the to the line of scrimmage with your gait um, too wide, it's harder to cut. And you see Bell, who was super patient. He he basically shortens his strides. He was able to cut uh, faster. There's times where he's he's jumping through gaps, where he's double hopping on his right foot to, because he knows that if he took or if he takes a right step, then a left step, then tries to cut off that right again, it'll be too it'll be too. Uh, too long or it'll, it'll delay his cut so he, he hops twice off of one foot which just shows ridiculous one footwork like uh strength um just smarts he, he doesn't even look where he's cutting like there's been mo- there's multiple times you see him running and he's not even looking where he's going to cut into a gap and it's almost incredible where like legitimately like when, you know like when we were kids um which for you was like a very long time ago but when i was a, <laughs> but when i was a kid um your mom always said like oh i got eyes in the back of my head like Le'Veon bell legitimately might have eyes in the back of his head um so so like there's just there, there's so many things his peripheral vision the spatial awareness the, the ability to get skinny the ability to also truck people over there's a play on the uh i believe it's a Bengals game or just in terms of like his leg power and there's multiple plays like that same Bengals game he trucked um drake kirkpatrick over just lowering his body coiling from his from his uh from his knees up through his his shoulders and just trucked him over uh there's also a play where he, he he uh, stiff on the crap at Jake Drake Kirkpatrick. Um, but there was one play on the goal line that's like people don't really see people talk about a lot, but he, he jumps over, I believe it's a linebacker. As he's landing on the ground, there's a defensive lineman who's like right in his face. He lowers his body. And this is, he's not even doing this with the momentum. He's in the air, ducks down, uh, takes on two defensive linemen without even being able to, to get momentum into that, um, you know, kind of like push on the goal line. Uh, so he takes on two def- defensive linemen, takes on another linebacker, and still pushes into the end zone where he was just in the air. And he's a 230-pound running back. So, like, there's just so um, many things in, in his running game uh, that, that he could do and consistently do. It's not, okay, you just see it once or twice, and then you have people who will make that a gift. And then people automatically assume, oh, well, because he stiff-armed one guy one time, that's a, that's a strength of his. Le'Veon Bell showed that stuff every single play. Um, so there's nothing he cannot do, uh, and minus maybe like having elite breakaway speed. That's something he does not have. And there's some times where you see in his running game, in terms of the weaknesses, some of the only things I listed um, where I think there there are times where he tries to get a little bit too fancy for me, where instead of taking the easy five yards on, you know, whether it be like second five, he tries to get too many yards uh, cutting to the outside or even just being too patient, try to set up an, an interior gap. Um, but other than that, you know, some of that uh, is going to happen. And there's nobody without <clears throat> any weaknesses. Like there's not one player in the NFL who doesn't have a weakness, whether it be Donald or what everybody's going to have some type of weakness there's no perfect player there's no perfect player who's ever existed so he's not going to come out without some of those um but they're so few and far between or so there's you know it's just things you do not really worry about so um i don't know if i did him justice really but it's there's nothing he can't do that's that's pretty much the easiest the, the easiest way and there's just things that he does that people don't do um, you don't see a lot of running backs just not even look at gaps they can cut through. You don't see a lot of running backs with his stop-start ability, his jump-cut ability, um, his his great footwork, his smarts, be able to also truck over defensive linemen. Like there's just he, he, he there's he's not a power back, he's not a speed back, he's not an elusive back, he's not a he's not a gap runner, he's not a zone runner. He's he's ne- he's everything. Two of the hallmarks of his game are his patience and his field vision. You talk to me a little bit about that, specifically what you saw on tape, if there were any plays that you remember off the top of your head that really stick out to you? 
any plays in particular. No, it's 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 like I said, it's one of those things where it's just so consistent, where his vision um, is incredible, and it's it's not even and it's not even his his with the first level of the defense, line with the defensive line. He already knows what he's going to do with the defensive line as soon as he as soon as he's standing pre-snap. He pretty much knows what's going to happen. But the way he sets up secondary players and linebackers to 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 basically just be out of the holes. Like I said, there's there's plays I don't remember exactly what team it was, but there's times where he'll he'll press the a gap. Um, press the a gap, press the a gap, and if there's a let's just say there's a puller from the left or right side, he'll press that a gap, um, and he'll be showing himself inside, so the linebacker will cut, you know, to the inside of that, you know, puller whoever it may be who's leading for him, and then Le'Veon Bell will just explode out in, into the b gap. So um, it's it's crazy because, and that's why I put down one of his things as as perif- uh, peripheral vision because he's not even looking. At, at guys, but his vision of just how he knows that, how the blocks are going to set up, how he knows that guys react, and it seems like like a run a run in the NFL is like two three seconds, but Le'Veon Bell runs, and it seems like it's he's like slow motion, like he's flash or something like that. And he just knows what's going to happen, and he's just processing things so much faster than everybody else is. Like there's times where he's running in the backfield, and he's about to cut up a gap or explode, you know, put his put his foot in the dirt and explode up field. But then there's a guy you know trailing him who dives from. He just stiffs. He just sticks out his arm really quickly um, into the guy's face mask and just and, and stiff arms the crap out of the guy without even looking at him. Like he just knows what's going to happen on every play. Um, and like you said, I think that's one of his best things with his patience um, setting up blocks. Which it, it's sometimes that one or two times out of a hundred it does hurt him, um, but the other ninety-seven, ninety-eight times it is really impressive where he just lets things happen. Um, where if you're going to try to explode through a gap and there's a linebacker there, um, you might be limiting yourself to two three yards but if you're going to press the opposite side of that gap and then explode through the other side that you're not pressing um it's it's going to set up another two three yards uh the guy always falls forward his it's just i it's it's almost hard to do him justice without showing it on film which is you know why i did the film show about him and i'm going to do it actually um tomorrow with you but um he's he's incredible and that that definitely is one of the things that's going to uh that's going to pop up on film and obviously the Jets offensive line is not as good as the Steelers offensive line but to to say that he won't help out this offensive line and make them look better is incredibly foolish because he, he'll just create things for himself even if, even if they're not blocking the guys as, as they're supposed to let's say if it's an inside inside zone play he'll he'll take a track outside make everybody react outside boom cut inside like it's things as simple as that but he just does it on every single snap so it, it is pretty absurd to watch how how good he is with his vision and his patience and the ability to set up his runs while sports can bring us so much joy it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress and that stress can make it difficult to concentrate relax and get decent sleep Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com.
With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Joe, one of the minor drawbacks that you've mentioned as it pertains to Le'Veon Bell is the fact that he doesn't have top-shelf speed. So it's not like you're going to be watching him the way that you would have watched somebody like Barry Sanders or now a guy like Tariq Cohen who just has that boom, jet engine speed and is off to the races. But he does still find ways to make plays and, like you said, falling forward and stuff like that. Do you think that his inability to have that kind of speed is anything to really worry about if you're spending this kind of money, making that kind of investment, especially as he gets older? And also, do you think this is a big part of the reason why he didn't have that many plays that were over 40 yards, those big, explosive, long, long runs? Yeah, yeah, that's that's it's for sure that um he doesn't have that that elite speed like a guy like you know Tariq Cohen or Barry Sanders or Chris Johnson or you know other guys with elite speed like Trenton Cannon. <laughs> um, but it's yes, yeah, so you're not going to see a bunch of 80, 90 yard runs because he is what 230 pounds. So to be able to run like that at 230 pounds is just something that's pretty much impossible. Um, but at the same time, when he's picking up consistently 10, 20 yard runs, um, multiple times a game, it's something you don't really have to have to worry about. You don't have to worry about him, um, taking, you know, or not taking, uh, gains of plus, you know, 70, 60, 80, whatever yards, because that doesn't really happen. That's, that's an anomaly that happens. Maybe if it happens once a game, you're lucky for, for any running back. So, um, I rather see the really consistent type of running and you mentioned something. Okay. Well, you know, as he, as he ages, is that something that you worry about? No, it's actually something that makes me worry less about him. Now, if he was a guy who's just purely based off speed and explosion, you worry about that stuff. But when we talk about things about you know the biggest strengths of his game being his being his patience and his ability to set up runs, um, that doesn't go away with age. Unless you know there is no unless actually you don't just lose that. So he's always going to have his field vision, his patience. Um, and his footwork, and even if he does get a little bit less explosive out of his breaks, his footwork is still so good in the way he he's able to maneuver his hips and open up his hips. He's just so smart um, with everything with his footwork. Like I said before, where I'm not going to go over all again, but the way he opens, like I said, he opens his hips to cut certain ways, how he pitter patters, how he alters his stride, um, all these different types of things. That's not something that he's just going to to lose. So you worry more about guys like you know Chris Johnson when he became older because he just wasn't the same guy because he consistently um, relied on his speed and hit and his just explosiveness. He just he's a blazer. Um, where you worry less with Le'Veon Bell with that, and and Le'Veon Bell having a year off, it definitely, I definitely I think it definitely helps. Um, the Steelers ran him into the ground. I'm hoping that the Jets use him a little bit less. They keep him a little bit more fresh. Um, but no, it's, it's, it's not a worry. You're not going to see, like I said, a, a 40, 50, 60 yard touchdown. But when he's consistently cutting up teams for five to 10 yards, 15 yards, 20 yards, it's something you're not even going to think about. Now, Joe, let's talk about Le'Veon Bell, the receiver, because I think a lot of people don't realize just how good he is in this area of his game. People tend to believe that running backs, when they have big receiving numbers, are catching balls just out of the backfield 
and then making cuts and getting yards after those catches on the screens and being able to produce that way. But with Le'Veon Bell, what I personally notice is that, yeah, sure, he can do that, but he can also run routes, real routes, like a wide receiver the way that a guy like Marshall Falk used to when he was playing. Talk to me a little bit about that stuff and what you noticed when you were breaking down the film. Yeah, and there's there's that stuff where, like you said, uh, which is which is a great thing about him and why it helps Donald so much, where you could throw throw a check down to him where, okay, Donald reads the, reads the left side, reads the right side, nobody's there, dump it down to Le'Veon Bell. And instead of getting, you know, one or two yards or three yards, like a guy like Crowell, Crowell would, he's going to give you 10, 15, 20 yards consistently on those type of plays, which is great, and that helps Donald um, more than people can imagine to set him up in better field position, give him more confidence, et cetera, move the offense, score more points. But then there's the times where it's not a check down. It's not a screen. It, it, it's not just splitting him out wide and, and running him on a smoke route or a bubble screen. There's times where they legitimately put guys in motion, noted, or the Steelers did at least, where, which I'm assuming the Jets will do too, even though if you don't like Adam Gase, we've talked about it. And just from listening to your podcast and, and all the offseason stuff, I know you asked a lot of people about Adam Gase. I know a lot of people bring up the, the things off the field and all that stuff, but when you really get into the film and what we talked about, um, I'm fine with the hire in, in terms of the X's and O's, which is what I do. Um, so I, I'm probably more of the one of the more positive guys on Gase, which I did not think was going to happen, but I think he's smart enough to use to, to use Le'Veon Bell in this way, as the Steelers did, which, where they would put him into motion. They would see that a safety follows him, a safety or linebacker follows him at wide. It's, it's, it's a dead giveaway for, for uh, man coverage, at least you know 95% of the time that's the case. And then they're going to run routes with him versus safety. I'm going to take him on a route versus a linebacker or a safety, I think he'll probably win nine out of 10 times, unless you're playing a guy like, like Luke Keekley or Kwan Alexander, a guy with like elite speed, but you don't need, just need elite speed. You need, you need that speed and the smarts and the ability to play that route. Um, and he runs, listen, he's not, he's not Antonio Brown in terms of route running or, you know, Stefan Diggs or Adam Thielen. He's not that good at route running. But he's probably still, if not, I would still probably say he's the best route runner on the Jets right now if he was if he was signed here. And if you're going to take a, a running back who has that size, that ability to get yak, and you and and if you just put him at receiver, um, which I would say he's probably he's a solid route runner, not an elite route runner, but he's an elite route runner at running back if that makes any sense. Um, and if you can get him in the open field versus linebackers and safety, he's, he's going to win nine out of ten times. And it's just such an advantage the way he runs his routes, just as just as with his ability to set up uh, routes, you know, or, or um, his lanes in the backfield. He does the same thing with his route running, his his jabs, his stabs, his hesitation, his hop steps, um, his ability to, to drop and break. Um, at the at the right point, setting up the the defensive back or the linebacker or the safety, whoever it may be, um, it's it's elite for a running back. So he's a weapon in every single aspect of of, of the field, um, pass catching, running, pass blocking, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, yeah, his his he really is he's great at that too. Where you know whether it be Tony Jefferson or whoever he was split out uh, versus with the Steelers in 2017, he beat them um, very very consistently. So he could do everything um like i said hey guys greg peterson here with the baseball betting podcast as we know the mlb season is back in our lives it's going to be a 60 game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before and i'm going to be giving you picks every single day seven days a week with major league baseball we're also going to be keeping up with the kbo as well if you like baseball and you like being able to make some money subscribe to the baseball betting podcast with greg peterson on apple Podcasts, google play spotify stitcher TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts this is the overtime podcast network just want to point out real quickly just for clarification purposes 
The fact that I'm down on Adam Gase doesn't really have much to do with the X's and O's. I have no issues with how he would use Le'Veon Bell if he were in this mm-hmm. offense. I think he's fine in that area. My only worries with Adam Gase are all the other things that involve being a head coach that I think don't typically improve that quickly. I think usually when guys are able to become successful head coaches after getting fired this fast, it's because they went back to the drawing board, they got demoted, they left the league for a little while, and they were able to kind of reconfigure and change their thoughts. Can Adam Gase do that? I don't know. I hope so. But that is my major worry, not really the X's and O's. But as far as the X's and O's go with Le'Veon Bell, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and I think it's really fascinating. I want to get your take on it based on the film that you watch with Le'Veon Bell. The Jets may or may not be able to get a quote-unquote number one wide receiver. I think it's more than likely that they're not able to do that. I think Anderson and Newman are fine. They'll probably add another guy too, whether it's Humphreys or Tate or somebody along those lines. Whoever it is, they'll add another wide receiver. But I think what Bell gives the Jets the opportunity to do and gives Sam Darnold is two mismatches that every defense is going to have a lot of trouble accounting for. What I mean by that Mm -hmm. is you now would have Bell, who's a running back, who you're going to have to cover with a linebacker and a safety. And like you said, he's going to win that battle nine out of ten times. Well, guess what? you got another weapon on your team that's going to be covered by linebackers and safeties most of the time, and that's Christopher Herndon. And he's another guy that I'm going to take to beat a safety or a linebacker eight or nine out of ten times. So if you have two of those guys that present major matchup issues for the opposing defense, And Sam Darnold, who has two targets who are both really, really good or in Bell's case, great, and who can win those matchups and make big plays, you may not necessarily need that number one wide receiver as badly as some other teams, right? Well, yeah, that's that's I thought I thought you were going to bring up that example of Twitter the other day where the guy was saying um, we shouldn't sign Bell because we don't have a number one wide receiver. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But no, yeah, obviously having more threats, it just it just comes down to having threats. Um, especially one of the backfield in terms of Bell's case. Listen, if you stack the box, okay, then you're then you, you have guys. Even if they just keep it as it is now, you have guys who can get open in one-on-one situations, whether it be um, Anderson or or Nunwa. So that helps them out. Now, if you're going to, like you said, if you if you're going to match him up in man, if they because the Jets and Gates will use a lot of motion. If they see it's man, okay, then you split them out wide and you run a route um, versus a linebacker. Maybe he's going to win that. Um, if you're going to keep that extra guy out of the box to, because you, you're worried about Rob Anderson's deep speed, then guess what? You're going to run it with Bell. So there's there, it, it opens up so many things for this offense, just in terms of numbers games. Um, like I said, getting Donald, like we, we've mentioned this many times when I was doing a podcast with you, uh, you know, weekly, um, after all the games that Donald was the number one quarterback in terms of having to throw the ball. And I don't know if I'm writing this right, actually. He had to throw the ball, um, more times than any quarterback in third and 10 and fourth and 10 plus situations in the NFL. Now, if you're going to give him even like, can you imagine how much it would help Donald to have more like third and sevens last year <laughs> instead of third and 12s and sure. 15s because of penalties. So, um, and I'm not just saying, and people are like, Oh, well, you think he's only get three yards. No, that's, that's like the, the, the very, very floor of what he can do. Now, if you're putting Donald in a lot more, you know, second fives, Second and five, second and threes. Guess what? Now you're going to take more shots, or more shots down the field to Robbie Anderson. Cause that's the down you do it. Um, third and twos. Then you can convert those third and twos. You move the ball. You give Donald more chance to, to go up up uh, tempo, no huddle type of stuff, which he, which he showed he, could, he uh, showed he could do effectively last year. You get defensive tight, uh, defensive tight, uh, defenses tired. Sorry, um, and now the, the offense is much more efficient. You're adding a guy like Bell to an offense who. 
Um, the, the offense at the end of last year with Donald we were putting up points versus, versus the Packers who aren't on a great defense, but he was going toe-to-toe with Aaron Rodgers. He went toe-to-toe um, with, with Deshaun Watson. Actually, not even saying toe-to-toe. I'm not just being a, a, a biased Jets fan. He clearly outplayed Deshaun Watson in that game. Um, coming back versus the Bills in the fourth quarter, defense who was um, top five in, in the league. Um, obviously, versus the Patriots, they, they struggled, which, which is going to happen. But um, adding another weapon to the offense and not even just another weapon to the offense but the one of the most elite players in the nfl still even at his age which is what he's 26 years old i know he has and people say this term all all the time incorrectly he does not have a lot of tread on the tires because you use up tread when you use the tire a lot um so he doesn't have a ton of tread left on the tires um potentially at this point um but he also had just had a year off to heal his body and there's nfl players and i've heard them talk about on your podcast which you know shout out to your other podcast where you you talk to guys like wesley walker whoever it may be there's no players in nfl even when i played in high school football or you know whoever plays in college whatever there's not a time where you're playing during the season you're not injured um even in the off season when you're working out in the off season come back to training camp, you still have some, some, some nagging injuries. Giving a, a player of his caliber a full year off, I, I think, is definitely going to um, help his body. Um, and adding another weapon, like I said, elite, uh, where I talked about it with you before the podcast, there's only there's only two running backs who I think are in the company of, of Le'Veon Bell. You can argue one, two, or three. I think that's, I think that's Ezekiel Elliott. And I think it's uh, Saquon Barkley. Other than that, I don't think there's anybody who's in his range here. Adding a top three running back, uh, you can argue, like I said, one, two, or three. Um, and still probably, even with uh, being a top three running back, he's probably what, uh, maybe a top five to ten uh, playmaker at his position. When's the last time the Jets have had that? Legitimately. Um, I, I can't remember a time that the Jets have really had that type of weapon, Scott. And I don't know if you if you can uh, – minus Curtis Martin. It's, it's Curtis Martin, correct? Like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that – and I, I, I posed this question on Twitter. The last time the Jets signed a free agent of his caliber, um, you know, top three to five guy that, at their position was in 1998 with Curtis Martin and Maui. That was 20, 21 years ago. The Jets have, don't have, they don't, they don't make these type of signings. People, oh, Braylon Edwards. Braylon Edwards had his problems. He had a bunch of drops. Uh, LaDainian Thomas was at the end of his career. Thomas Jones was great, but he wasn't of Le, uh, Le'Veon Bell's caliber. They got San Antonio Holmes, who, who, who wasn't a top five receiver or, or maybe even a top ten receiver. So adding this to, to Donald, it, it, the ability to get yards on first down, like I said, instead of instead of third and tens, you make it third and threes. Instead of second and, and 15s or second and 12s, you make it second and six. That helps Donald so much more than people really do realize it does. Um, and that's that's one weapon of this offseason. Now, if you add a, a, a and I'm not I'm not just saying like a dream offseason for the Jets, but even on the on the lower end, even if you were just to add, let's just say, and and this is something that that at least should happen, you add Le'Veon Bell, you add Mitch Morse, Paradis, who who or Saffold, whoever it may be, and you you upgraded the interior of the offensive line dramatically just with one player of, of those guys caliber, even if they are a little bit older. Offensive linemen last older or, or a little bit um, longer into their career. You know, a guy like Andrew Whitworth is a very good um, example of that. You add one of those guys, and you add a receiver, whoever it may be. I know people have a lot of different preferences of, of Golden Tate, Humphreys, Cole Beasley, whoever it may be. You add just those three type of players to this offense, this this offense can be taken to another level um, with their ability to to uh, to score points. Um 
And that's not even considering Donald's going into his second year, where if he continues the trend of what he did in his last four games, uh, this offense can truly be exciting. People who just say, oh, well, you know, let's just let's just add Pelvin Coleman or, or, or Mark Ingram for lesser of the price. You don't do that because they can't do the things that Bell can do. It's, it's, it's not even comparable how much of a better running back he is than those guys. And people act like, OK, well, listen, if the Jets had 20, 30 million dollars in cash, you really had to worry about it, which I understand that they do have one hundred and four million, whatever it is. But they also have um, I think the least players under contract. A lot of those players will be signing like better and minimum deals and things like that. They still do overall have a ton of money to spend. Why are we going to penny pinch? <laughs> like this is the times where people win Super Bowls. This is this is where you solve the Seahawks. This is what you see the Chiefs doing right now with a ton of good players because of Mahomes on his rookie deal. This is what you see the 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 uh, the Rams doing sign all of the, all the guys they did with you know, getting Marcus Peters, getting Akeem Tlaib, getting the Dominican Sue, adding all these guys to the offense, getting uh, Brandon Cooks, because you have to capitalize on that rookie deal. So we're in a penny pinch for a couple million dollars to get a guy like, uh, you want a guy, like I said, Mark, uh, Ingram or Coleman over a guy like Bell for what, you know, four, five, six million dollars. And the talents aren't comparable. Uh, uh, even just a solid player like an Ingram or a Coleman, if you're going to call them solid, if they even are solid, um, compared to an elite player, it's it's like I said, it's not comparable to how much it helps the offense. Let's not penny pinch. Let's get Donald, um, you know, the the players he needs around him to to capitalize this and and to hopefully to win a Super Bowl. And if we get and we can get into all the stuff about him off the field, Scott. I know I'm rambling a little bit, but it's just it's just things you need to get out. Um, people are worried about the locker room. It, you think Le'Veon Bell? <laughs> you, you look at that Steelers locker room. You think he's the only issue in that in that in that damn locker room. That that place is a, is just a, it's a crap show at this at this point. Um, and winning fixes everything. Now, are there are there, are there going to be some little tips and riffs in the in the locker room? Yeah, there is in every single locker room. But if you're winning, it's it's not going to come out. And if you're losing, stuff is going to come out. No locker room is, is good when you're losing. It's just it's just not ha- when you hear that. Oh yeah, well. You know, uh, whoever, whatever team it may be, the Lions when they were really bad, or the Jets when they're really bad, have a great locker room. It's winning fixes everything. Um, I don't know if that may, even made sense, but that's some more thoughts. I forgot the question you even asked me, Scott, but that's it. <laughs> hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the off season, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them. Keep up with all the transfers in college basketball and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Just to add to what you said about Coleman and Ingram, the best way I could put it is you would have to get both of them to give you the skill set that Bell has, but then still Bell is better than both of them at their respective strengths. So in other words, Tevin Coleman is a much better receiver than a runner, but Bell is still a better receiver than Tevin Coleman. It's not even close. Right. And likewise, same thing with Mark Ingram. He's a much better runner than he is a receiver, but Bell is still a better runner than Ingram. So you would have to get both of them, and it would still be inferior to Le'Veon Bell. Scott, to, to interrupt you, too, like, do you, when you were a kid, did you, I guess, you watch Power Rangers, like, when they combine their rings and they make one big, like, robot or one big Power Ranger, whatever it is, if, if, if Ingram and Coleman did that, they still wouldn't be as good. If they combine into one running back, they're, they're not even close to as good as, as Bell is. So, 
like I said, to penny pinch over a couple million dollars because you want those guys more than Bell, I, I think is absurd. But sorry to just continue with your just continue with your point because it, it is really crazy that people are talking about just get a guy like Ingram or Coleman over an elite, elite talent, no matter, and he's still in his prime. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's one of those deals where people are just trying to talk themselves into the secondary options because they don't want to believe that a player like Le'Veon Bell could actually come to the Jets. I've been of the opinion that the Jets have by far the most money of anybody that seems interested in Bell. The Indianapolis Colts are the only team with more money than the Jets, and from everything I've gathered from my buddy George Bremer, who is a beat reporter over in Indianapolis and knows that landscape better than almost anybody, and from the other beat reporters on the Indianapolis beat, it doesn't seem like the Colts really want to make that move. They want to spend their money on receivers and on the defense, and they have Marlon Mack, who's an excellent young running back with 11 touchdowns last year and had almost five yards per carry so they have him and two other young running backs that they really like it doesn't seem like they're going to be in the Le'Veon Bell sweepstakes although that could obviously change beyond that you've got the Browns and the Bills neither of them are going to be bidding on a running back because obviously the Bills have Shady McCoy the Browns not only just sign Kareem Hunt but they also already have Nick Chubb and Duke Johnson so they're not going to invest there the next closest team that you would expect to make a run would be the Houston Texans and the Jets have 30 million more dollars than them to spend so it all comes down to for the Jets as far as I'm concerned if you want Bell you can get him. You just got to pay him the most. And I would absolutely do that based on all the things that you're saying. But I also think that they're going to need to upgrade this offensive line because, Joe, I know that watching the film, one thing that you did say you were a little bit concerned about with Bell is because of his patience. If he doesn't have at least a solid offensive line, he could run into some trouble both as a runner and as a receiver, right? Yeah, that's 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 an obvious thing. I mean, if, you, if you have a a worse offensive line, you might not produce as much if you had a good offensive line. That's that's pretty much as simple as it is. With the Jets, he might need to be a little bit more aggressive um, with, with hitting holes, which might lead to him um, getting more 10-yard runs instead of like 20-yard runs of the series because he's going to have to be a little bit more aggressive in terms of hitting those gaps, um, which is why a reason uh, uh, the Jets need to to sign offensive line. But for the people on like Twitter who think, okay, well, the Jets don't have a good offensive line, don't sign a running back, um, that just – that's just ridiculously foolish as well because there were still some times last year um, where, I, and I give the Jets' offensive line no credit um, in terms of the running games. They were awful, but there were still times where if you replaced, you know, Le'Veon Bell and, and instead of Elijah McGuire or Cannon or Powell or Crewell, whoever it may be, um, he could have made much more out of some some more runs. But yeah, they need offensive linemen to support him because he is that patient runner. So you want to give him a good offensive line um, to be able to set up those blocks and, and be able to use him to his full potential but that's you want a good offensive line for everything on the offense good offensive line helps receivers it helps tight ends it helps the quarterback it helps running backs so um that's something that they definitely do need but um and like i said for the like the just to get into i don't know if you even want to scott but get into the contract situation really quickly and i know i'm supposed to be x's and o's um <laughs> but i you can't just use me you can't just use me as the x's and o's guys sometimes i want to talk about some other things too um <laughs> i get i have other opinions damn it um but listen and people talk and i wrote about this people talk about okay well you know, he gave up on his team and, you know, he didn't he didn't want to play for the Steelers for I believe it was 12. I think it's actually 14 million dollars. And Bell's thoughts with this. And I don't love the way he handled. It. I think he definitely could have been more mature with things on Twitter, uh, maybe with meeting just with the owner face to face instead of tweeting emojis out and things like that. I don't like I don't love that. 
And people are saying, oh, well, you know, how it, it's terrible. He's a 26-year-old running back. He's going to make $14 million. I kind of like laughing at what I'm saying here. But in his mind, he's trying to capitalize on, on his career. Running back or running back's careers, even just NFL careers in general, are very, very short. So they, they, they capitalize. Um, they need to capitalize as much as they possibly can in terms of their contract money. And what was happening with the Steelers was from his eyes, they were going to use him in, in 2018. They're going to absolutely run him into the ground. Um, and then get rid of him where bell looked at it like, okay, well give me, you know, he didn't just want, okay, the, the money, $14 million to so people. Okay. Well now you're to sign bell for 15, 16, $17 million. That's not what it is. He wanted a long-term deal, um, from, from the series with a certain amount of guaranteed money, um, because he didn't want them to run into the ground. So he was, he was basically going to get used, um, for, for a year and then be put out into the open market and not given the money he, he deserves. So he's, he, he figured he'd sit out for a year and then be able to, you know, kind of expand that money over three, four years instead of being used for one year and to lessen his value extremely over the next three to four years. So I understand what he was looking at with that contract situation. Uh, like I said, I don't, I don't love it, but I'm not gonna just going to, like, people, like, go crazy about that. Like, he, he's such a bad guy um, where I understand it partially. Partially, I do blame him for it, but uh, that's kind of my thoughts on that as well. Joe, first of all, you can talk about whatever you want on this show just because it's XNL Quick It's. If you want, you can talk about your favorite place to shop for groceries. I'm not going to stop you. But as far as what you were saying with Le'Veon Bell, I'm in complete agreement with you. The bottom line here is the Jets don't have the same choice that, say, the Giants had. And the reason why a lot of people criticize the Giants taking Saquon Barkley, who has a very similar skill set to Le'Veon Bell, is because they were picking him number two overall at the expense of either a potential franchise quarterback like Sam Darnold, a potential mm -hmm. franchise edge rusher like Bradley Chubb, or a potential franchise offensive lineman like Quentin Nelson. And you could justify Saquon Barkley over Chubb or Nelson, but it's hard to justify him over a quarterback when you're in a position like the Giants where you needed one. That's not the decision that the Jets need to make here. It's not like the Jets are saying, well, either we got to pay Le'Veon Bell or we uh -huh. can have this superstar edge rusher. I mean, if you're going to tell me that the choice is you could sign Le'Veon Bell or Demarcus Lawrence, okay, I'll sign Demarcus Lawrence. Exactly. But yep. that is not what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a situation where the Jets are going to either sign Le'Veon Bell or likely, say, Tevin Coleman and an average-to-below-average offensive lineman for the same amount of money. If you're giving me that choice, yeah. I'm taking Le'Veon Bell every single time. So I'm with you on that 100%. As far as the contract with Bell, look, we all know the deal. It's all about the guaranteed money in the NFL. The per-year figures don't really matter much. They're not worth the money that they're printed on. It's all about the guarantees. And so Bell saw that the guarantees were going to be $30 million in Pittsburgh. He felt that that wasn't enough. He saw Todd Gurley get 45 Five million, and he wanted something more in line with that. I can't say that I blame him because this is going to be the last time that he's able to have the leverage to sign a massive guaranteed money contract like this, and he wanted to make the most of it. So you could love it, hate it, whatever, but that's just kind of the way yeah. that this thing goes. Football, as much as it is a game we all love it, it is also a business too, and it's not just a business for the teams and management. It's a business for the players too. It's a business for everybody, and everybody's got to look out for what's best for them, and we may or may not like the fact that a guy turned down more money than we'll ever see in our life, but we're not the ones that are in that situation and we're not the ones that have to look at the relative value in the marketplace and say, okay, I'm getting offered $30 million, but this guy that I'm arguably better than is getting $45 million. So that's really where that boils yeah. down to. And it doesn't mean that Le'Veon Bell doesn't want to win or he doesn't love football. It just means that he's willing to stand up for himself. Now, whether or not that translates to him being some sort of headache or a me-first player, 
That's not the impression that I've ever really gotten, but I guess that's for the Jets to discover when they try to vet him if they do make a run at signing him. Joe, one thing I wanted to ask you about real quickly before we get to the third aspect of Bell's game, which is the least talked about aspect of it, Mm -hmm. and that's his blocking. I wanted to ask you if you noticed anything on tape, any specific plays that he made as a wide receiver that really stood out where you looked at it and said, wow, this guy is a really, really talented wide receiver for a running back to the point where he's a cut above almost anybody you would have ever watched on film in that area. Yeah, and and just to, and really quickly before I get to that, just to kind of pile on top of what you were saying before with with the contract situation and and, and just simply, and I get that people are going to say, oh, well, yeah, he's making a bunch of money, but if we were in, and, you know, that should be fine for him, but if we're, if anybody realistically put him into his shoes or put themselves into his shoes and they can make, let's just say, for example, I'm not getting exact contract numbers out, but $30 million as compared to potentially $55, $60 million and you're going to miss out on like, you know, $20, $30 million over a couple of years. Like, that's that's something that nobody in his shoes would say, oh, well, screw it. You know, I already made enough money. Like, everybody's going to try to capitalize um, on their money when they can, especially in such a short career. Um, so I definitely agree with you with that. Another great point you brought up, which is something that's so true, is people act like, okay, well, it's 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 Coleman or Ingram and a, a lineman or Bell. Like, it's Bell and nothing or those two guys. Like, the Jets can sign all of those guys. And that's with the assumption that the Jets are even going to be able to sign these guys because what who, what says they want to go to the Jets over a team like the Colts who have just as much cap room um, as the Jets. So get the get the freedoms you can. It's not like, okay, you sign you sign A or you sign B, C, D. No, the Jets have money to sign A, B, C, D. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, like, it just doesn't make sense um, to me. Um, but going into your to your next point about the route running, I, there's a, there's a play I put up of him running a route versus uh, Tony Jefferson, where you see Tony Jefferson at times cover uh, receivers and he does it pretty well. And Le'Veon Bell uh, gets split out wide to the to the left side, and just the way he sets up his routes with with uh, the hesitation moves that a lot of running backs they just put their foot in the dirt and, and they cut. Uh, Le'Veon Bell will 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 get up onto the d- defensive backs' toes where you're literally getting onto their toes to make them feel uncomfortable. That you get them into an uncomfortable backpedal. They're Momentum's taking him backwards. Um, Bell will stab at him either outside or inside, whichever the opposite way that he's going. And then he cuts the opposite direction. So he'll get onto your toes, uh, jab at you to make you feel even more uncomfortable, raise your raise your body, raise your eyes, then he's going to cut inside of you. He does that a lot. Um, like I said, whether it be hop steps, it's it's jab moves, it's it's crossovers, it's a lot of different moves at the line of scrimmage. Um, and, and even at the top of his routes, it's not just one simple thing. So I think it's, it's the fact that he could do so many things in his route running. Now, are there some times where I'd like to see him um, do some more things in his route running? Yeah, for sure. He's not a perfect route runner. He's not, like I said, he's not a top flight type guy um, with his route running, but he's still very good at it. Even for even if he was a receiver, he would still be very good at it. He's just not absolutely perfect. Um, there are some things, I, th- I think probably the only issue that he has um, with his pass catching, and I would like to say actually there's probably two things. Route running, there's some technical things I would like to see him do differently. Um, there's some times where I would like to see him attack the ball more aggressively in the air. Uh, more hands catches instead of more body catches. And then there's also times where Green's or in routes where he doesn't look the ball in because he's trying to set up his, his lanes and look at um, defenders where he, he does have, he did have some drops that I noticed. Um, but overall, yeah, pass catching, it's just that that's, that's, he's probably the best um, in the NFL. I would say he is the best uh, pass catching running back in the NFL. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Joe, one thing I want to ask you about as it pertains to Le'Veon Bell is his blocking ability. Now, as I've hinted 
earlier on in this podcast, I feel like this is an underrated aspect of his game and doesn't get talked about nearly enough, but he is a really competent blocker in pass protection, and we know that even though the Jets are worse when it comes to run blocking than they are in pass blocking, they're not exactly murderers row in pass blocking, so they could use all the help they can get. Talk to me a little bit about Le'Veon Bell, the pass blocker. Yeah, it's it, it, there's really nothing like I can't give you a whole bunch of scenarios where he's a really good pass blocker. Like I, I could show you them, um, but I can't discuss like discuss them that people falling asleep at their desk or wherever they're listening in their cars. <laughs> it might be dangerous. Um, but he's he's really efficient. Um, whether it be whether it be uh you know releasing off of a off of a block where you know let's say if a left tackle right tackle is struggling with a block, he'll come he'll check him, give him a little hip check, and then release into a route. Um, that's a, that's something that we that he's willing to do. He's also willing to take on. There's plays where, actually, I probably could show you where you're not going to fall asleep, um, where he's lighting up safeties and linebackers. There's times where he complete, he either knocks them on their ass, or if they're running straight, they end up back like running backwards because they're just they they, they literally get popped by Le'Veon Bell so well because he's really really good at scanning the defense, noticing blitzes, um, you know, pre-snap. You see him do that all the time where he, he just picks up things where it looks like it's going to be a blitz that's going to get home and Le'Veon Bell, you know, comes across the formation and pops somebody, even if he's not, you know, sent to block opposite, which it's basically a design block, hit blocking opposite of where he's lining up. There's times where it didn't look like he was even supposed to block opposite that he did do that. Um, so he's really good at reading blitzes, stunts, um, gap exchange, things like that. And he's 100% willing, just with that, just with the, the strength I was talking about, leg strength, upper body strength, he's willing to, to squat in there, square up with, with a linebacker and, and shoot his hands out and pop him. Um, and he's not one of those guys like a, like a Crowell who like, oh, lays people where he kind of lets them run by him. Um, he's definitely willing to put his helmet into the guy's chest. And, and, and it, it popped up on film a lot where that's something that's definitely going to help Darnold. Um, out as well and is it something that's like a dramatic you know something dramatic like oh my god we have to get Le'Veon Bell because he's a good pass blocker um no but is it undeniably going to help Donald yes because guys like Cruel who is terrible at pass blocking um even Elijah McGuire and Cannon are not good pass blockers uh Powell's actually a pretty a pretty good pass blocker but Le'Veon Bell's even better um whether it be letting Donald scramble outside the pocket uh giving him room to step up in the pocket because he's not afraid to not not afraid and good at popping linebackers not going to bull rush him back into Donald now is that going to happen a a time or two yes he's not going to be able to block Jadavion Clowney you know exploding through the a gap and not get pushed back like that's not going to happen um but there are definitely examples of him popping linebackers even taking on defensive linemen and not necessarily shutting them down but but slowing them down, kind of like they say about like really good players, like you can't ever stop them. The only thing you can do to hope is, is contain them. And Le'Veon Bell does that better than um, just about anybody in the league. So that's something that, that's a trade that's undeniably going to help um, the Jets overall. Joe, any other overall observations that you had about Le'Veon Bell in any aspect of his game that you caught on film that we didn't address? <laughs> well, yeah, this is something that uh, in the article you could just literally just go to the article, Scott. If I started reading off the strengths, um, <laughs> it's it's like like I said, um, I'm I'm just looking at it right now. I probably have. I'm gonna give a guessman. This is not. This is. I'm not over exaggerating. There's probably tw- like 25 to 30 strengths I put down of him, and that and that's. So if you want to really get into all of those, we could be here for seven hours talking about living on Bell, like I will be um, when I do my podcast. I'm doing it on YouTube and actually going over the plays and showing you exactly what I talk about with dynamic footwork and his ability to alter his stride and and hopping on one foot and the ability to set up blocks and not look at like. I'm going to go over all of that stuff. Um, 
you know, actually tomorrow if people do want to check it out. But, yeah, it's there's just so many things overall with his game. Like I said, anything you imagine from a running back, um, he has it. Um, now, am I going to go into every single one of those strengths right now? No, no, I'm not. Um, but yeah, there's really nothing we didn't cover. Um, he could do, he could do everything. It's, it's really as simple as that. Joe, all of this said, do I even really need to ask, is there any limit to what you would be willing to pay Le'Veon Bell if you were Mike McCagnan? No, I don't even want to sign him actually. <laughs> no. Um, well, I sign him when you could get Trenton Cannon for one thirtieth of the price and get 50% of the production. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Or, or you know, if we if we sign Le'Veon Bell, we are not going to be able to sign Paradis because the Jets don't have a hundred million dollars in cap space. <laughs> um, so yeah, just sign both. But a limit? Well, yeah, obviously there's a limit. I'm not going to send forty million dollars on the guy, but I think people are also acting like he's going to get more money than he will get. Um, it's more about the long-term guaranteed money that he's looking for. I don't think he's looking for $20 million a year. Like some people, I literally hear them talk about it. Oh, well, you know, I want Bell, but do I want to sign him for $18, $19 million a year? He's not getting that much. I, I, I think the most he'll get guaranteed over the first, over the first couple of years is like 15 million a year. And I still think that might be a little bit too high. I think it's more like more likely going to be like $14 million a year, which that's a, that's a, like a heavy price for a running back. Which is fine though, because like we talked about, the Jets do have the money to spend um, that type of money on a on a running back. Because you know, and I think just saying he's a running back is kind of um, lessening what he is because he is a running back. He is a receiver. He can do both things, and he will be used both ways. Or he's not just making a run. He's not just he's he's going to get probably if he signs with the Jets another you know six seven eight hundred yards receiving as well. So um, I don't want to just put him in one category, and that's you know technically what he is, but. Yeah, if you if you have to listen, if you're gonna get worked up over two three million dollars, um, you know, oh, I'll sign Bell for fourteen million, but I won't sign him for sixteen. Like you gotta listen, like that that just sounds stupid because that two million dollars is the difference of like having having him, um, or not 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 having him, but it's it's a difference of like having like a, a crappy linebacker who you never hear of. Like that's that's the difference of of money that you're paying. So if if the Jets are going to be hard line at fourteen million dollars and not willing to give up sixteen for for a guy of of Bell's caliber, I think that's pretty foolish. Now am I going to give him twenty five million dollars a year? No, because that's ridiculous and it's never going to happen. Um, but just spend the damn money. Like I said, you know, two three million dollars. I I don't really care. Um, and even if it is five six million dollars over what you're going to get. Um, of a player like him versus a Coleman or an Ingram, I, I think it's definitely worth it. There's not a lot of elite talent that's ever out there in free agency. There's not a lot of elite talent that's out there in general. And something else that just quickly in terms of like getting running backs, you know, Scott, instead of getting Levy on Bell, let's just draft the guy in the third round because that's just, you know, apparently it, it, it is, it is easy for certain GMs, but not Mike McCagnan. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, like it, listen, if it, it's not every day, people act like, I think it, it, it was kind of understated, but now it's coming overstated where, Oh, let's just draft the running back. Kareem Hunt's and Kamara's don't happen. And, and David Johnson's don't happen every single day. Um, and those guys are still not even on the level of Le'Veon Bell. Show me all the elite, like top, top flight running backs, um, who were drafted in, in the second round or, or above who'd Le'Veon Bell's caliber. They're, they don't, they don't really happen that often. Ze- uh, Zeke, the, the three guys I talked about, or two guys I talked about with being as high of a, of a level as Le'Veon Bell, Zeke Elliott, who was the fourth pick, correct me if I'm wrong, I, don't, I forget if it's a fourth pick, he's a top five pick, and Saquon Barkley was the number two pick in the draft. Those, Saquon Barkley's and Zeke's and Bell's are not just found in those rounds. And even if you could find them in a round, you have to be really freaking lucky to get one that good. Out of And for the Jets to be one of those 32 teams who find that, um, I severely doubt it. 
Um, you know, because if you can just draft the guys, why aren't Elijah McGuire and Trent Cannon just lighting up the league? Like the people act like it happens all the time. You can't just go, oh, well, you know, screw it. Let's just draft the living on bell caliber running back in the third round. That just sounds so much easier. Right. So uh, that doesn't make um, sense to me, um, you know, in, in, in the slightest. So just just sign the freaking guy. I really hope it happens. Yeah, Joe, I agree with you. I don't understand the fans that are protective of this money like it's their own. We've talked about this. They have a ton of money. It's either going to get spent on Bell or it's going to get spent on players that are nowhere near as good as Bell. You're probably looking at something like Spencer Long and Isaiah Crowell. And if you would prefer that over Le'Veon Bell, I'm not really sure what to tell you. I would be more than comfortable giving him a Todd Gurley type deal if that is what it takes to get him here. I don't really care. The Jets have a ton of money. They don't have anybody else to really pay. I guess Leonard Williams, maybe if he steps up this year. Otherwise, who knows if he even sees a second contract here. So yeah, I'm with you. Go ahead. Pay Le'Veon Bell. Get the man in here. Give Sam Darnold an elite weapon to work with. Upgrade the offensive line. Make as many moves and bring in as many quality players as you can. And away you go. And hopefully that leads to a playoff contender in 2019 and maybe even a deep playoff run in 2020 if you do it properly. And to your point real quickly about the running backs getting drafted, I normally agree. I think it's better to draft a guy in the third or fourth or fifth round than to pay a running back. However, this is a very unique circumstance because Bell is the only real star playmaker that's available. His skill set is much different. He's available as a free agent, meaning you don't have to give up anything for him. And I don't see anybody in this draft that I look at and go, this guy's going to come in right away and make that kind of major impact while Sam Darnold is a rookie. Not to mention the fact that the Jets are already missing a second-round draft pick and a sixth-round draft pick. So they're starting with a deficit of picks and are going to need to use them to bolster the offensive line, to bolster the secondary, and to bolster the wide-receiving core, even if they make moves in free agency. So when you put all of that together... It's a very tough case for me from an on-field standpoint. If you want to argue with me that his off-the-field stuff and some of the injuries should be a reason to dissuade you from paying him big money, I would at least be willing to listen to that. I won't agree, but I think it's at least a reasonable argument to make. But the rest of this stuff, as far as, oh, you can't pay that guy, is a little Mm -hmm. ridiculous to me. Joe, as always, a pleasure talking with you about X's and O's and life in general as far as the Jets go because, let's be honest, being a Jets fan encapsulates X's and O's, but it also encapsulates what I like to call audio therapy, which is what this podcast turns into a lot of times. For anybody that's not subscribed to your film reviews and for anybody that's not following your work on Twitter, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know where they can find you, where they can interact with you, and where they can watch your great film breakdowns. Yeah, this is the. I think this is like the first podcast where I wasn't used like a like a freaking side street hooker, where I actually talked about some topics surrounding the player. <laughs> um, but no, but you know, some side street hooker uh, X's and O's guy. But yeah, it's um, it's the the, the Twitter is Joe RB thirty one. Uh, the YouTube, like you just type, literally just go to the search bar. I'm the type. I'm not gonna tell you a link. Just type in "turn on the Jets" or "toj phone room." You're gonna find us there. Um, and a lot of the stuff I've, I'm talking about with the footwork and opening the hips and stuff like that, I don't just say that because I've heard somebody say it. I'm gonna say that. And I'm gonna show you specific films, uh, film examples of, of you know what it is, and um, they really break it down for you. So if you want to see that, um, definitely follow me on Twitter and then and follow the articles and things like that because. Uh, 
just did the 58 play review of Bell. And as we've been talking about, Scott, uh, we, we talk all the time. Or like if I'm watching a prospect or a free agent, I'll text you little like tidbits I'm seeing. Um, and the next couple of weeks, months of, of uh, free agency breakdowns and, um, you know, prospect breakdowns, I think are something you definitely want to wa- uh, want to follow along with because I have some interesting you know, takes on some players that I'm sure people are going to, to want to hear. And even if you don't, if you don't agree with me, at least um, want to hear me discuss it and then, you know, kind of talk about it on film. Joe, my name is not Robert Kraft. No side street hookers over <laughs> here. We only go for the expensive brands. So you are the $5,000 a night call girl, sir. Oh, that's like, I guess that's, I'm kind of a little bit degraded, but at least I feel a little bit better about it. At least I'm not in some uh, rub and tug in a, in a freaking like shopping <laughs> plaza. So you will not be better. making $50 for that. You'll be getting five grand and you'll be living in a penthouse somewhere. So don't worry about it, Joe. We got you well taken <laughs> care of as we find a way to end this podcast by taking a nice little jab at the <laughs> Patriots, because let's be honest, when you're a Jets fan, this is really all you can do to numb the pain of having the Patriots beat you like a drum for the last two decades. But Joe, really looking forward to talking to you more as the offseason progresses when we do some film reviews of the free agents that the Jets are going to get, whoever they end up being, the draft picks that we're going to profile before the draft so that we know who to look at and who's got the strengths and the weaknesses and the best options at number three or for trading down as the draft approaches. But in the meantime, make sure you subscribe to Turn on the Jets TV on YouTube. That's where you can find Joe's great film breakdowns, a lot of them involving Marcus Coleman, the former 11-year NFL veteran. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.